Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us. Several weeks ago, uh, Steve shared a clip from the movie The Prince of Egypt. And uh, after watching that, when God leads his people through the Red Sea on dry ground, I was thinking about something that I heard years ago. Rick Warren describes his experience back then as a consultant for the movie, The Prince of Egypt. One day he said, I was in the hall there at DreamWorks and I noticed something on the wall they called an emotional beat chart. They actually monitor the highs and lows of a movie. I counted up and there were nine peaks and nine valleys in this 90 minute movie. Now, life is bigger than a 90-minute movie, but there are highs and lows in life, whether it's God's story or your story. I hope you see that today. And so I tried to think about a way that I could kind of review where we've been. We're in this message series called God's Story, Our Story, where we're seeing the overarching story of the Bible, that God has a plan from beginning to end. And uh, it has a lot of different highs and lows. And so how could I do that? So I drew this picture, again, of the highs and lows. And again, if you can just see, we talk about creation. God, in the beginning, created, and it was one of the high points. But he created Adam and Eve, and they walked with him in the cool of the day. And then they made a choice. They made a decision to go their own way and to be independent from God. And there was the fall. But even though the fall, the fall was not the end because God decided to make a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said, through you and your descendants, I will bless all the nations of the earth. I will bless those you bless. And so he had that promise. But he also told Abraham that his people would go into slavery for a time. And that was a low point for them. And they cried out to God and and God delivered them in the Exodus. And again, that was a high point when he led them out of Egypt. Then we see that he gave them the law, and the law started out as a good thing. God intended to show them, this is how I want you to live together as my people. But very quickly, they decided to do their own thing and make other gods. And again, we see how last week, Chuck talked to us about the kingdom. That even though they wanted a king different than God, God decided to make a promise to King David that I will bring a descendant whose reign will never end. And that was an incredible high point at first, but it too quickly became a low point to the place that we come to the exile today because over and over again, the kings disobeyed God and so did his people. So we're gonna look at that. And if you're following along, let's just review this a little bit. Notice that all through God's story, God desires to have a people, if you're following along, who are a light to the nations. This was always God's intention. Notice I didn't say God just wanted to have a person. He wanted to have a people. And a people who would be a light to the nations who would reflect his glory. Last week, Chuck gave this definition for the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the family of God trusting the heart of the Father, reflecting his glory forever. That's what it meant to be. We're the family of people of God, those of us that know him. And so that's what was planned. But notice, if you're following along, the exile is a very sad and low point in God's story. The exile is a very sad and low point in God's story. Uh, On the back of your message notes, uh, you you can see where this series is going, where we've been. 
And if you want to, again, this is just extra credit, but if you want to, starting in week two, when we actually started this series after the introduction, in my notes, I just wrote words like, next to creation, high, H-I-G-H. Next to fall, low, promise, high, low, high, low, high, low. And it just reminded me again of the highs and lows in God's story. Have you noticed that there's highs and lows in your story? A few years ago, you permitted me to go on a sabbatical. And during that time, I took time, among other things, to diagram my life, to look back and look forward. But part of what would happen is, is that I, I went through a little exercise for several weeks where I had to chart what I remembered happening in my life as I look back. And uh, it involved highs and lows. And so I think we've got a picture of it. And you can see that I've got a number of highs and a number of lows. And I was instructed in this exercise that if it was really, really high to make it a long line above the line, that if it was really, really a low point to draw an extra long line below the line. And as you can see, I have some longer and short lines, but both highs and lows. And I'm going to ask him to take it down now so I'm not too embarrassed. But the idea is, is that we all, all have those in our life. The question is, what do we do with them? Uh, are the low times the end? They feel like the end sometimes, especially if they're a long, low line. So what do we learn? In the exile, there is an opportunity to learn for God's people in the exile that if we can learn about it today, that we can actually take it with us to our car. And we can actually, if we're not going through that time now, we can be ready for that time. Or if we are going through that time, this can help us right away. So would you pray with me that God will use, the, as we study this part of his story, that God will use the exile in our story. Lord, there's something about studying your word where in your authority and your spirit, you can teach us things. You can help us make sense of things or at least know how to live in them differently. And I pray that you would meet every person exactly where they're at today and speak a word of hope and grace to each person. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so as we look at this, if you turn your notes back over, I forgot to tell you that. If you um, look at this, we're gonna see how God's people learn to live in exile. And I just wanna kind of think about some questions with you. So I'm gonna ask you to open your Bible to 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36. I imagine not many, I don't think we've read from this book many times uh, in our church family, but this is a good one, and it's the very last chapter. Now, if you're looking for Chronicles, it's about a third of the way through. If you're using a black Bible, it's on page 373 in one of those black copies. And um, we're going to read verses 15 through 21, and it kind of just describes the exile. And as we're doing this, I want you to think with me, what is the exile? Why did they... Why were they sent into the exile? What did they learn in the exile? What can we learn from them and what God wants to teach us? So these are some of the questions. So again, if you've never heard about this part of Israel's history, it happened about 600 years before Christ. So now let me read these verses 15 through 21. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men, 
with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant of people who escaped from the sword. And they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Now, let me just unpack this with you, some of what these verses say, and then we're going to look at the larger story of the exile. So first, notice this, if you're following along. Unfaithful, God's people sin against God and refuse to obey. Unfaithful, God's people sin against God and refuse to obey. They don't just break his rules. Like we learned a few weeks ago, they break his heart. They resist his plan. They say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to have a number of other gods on the side. I mean, you're good, but I want more. And as they began to live that way, they didn't just live that way once in a while. It became the pattern of their lives. And uh, some of you (laughs) have told me that when you have read through the Bible, that by the time you get done with the Old Testament, you're exhausted. And the reason you're exhausted is not only because it's a lot of information, but because you see God's people again and again and again, keep doing all these things that God says, don't do that. That's not a wise way to live. And so sometimes we go, some people have actually said to me, those people. And if we're not careful, we can actually see ourselves in those people. Notice that after many warnings, if you're following along, God finally sends his people into exile. After many warnings, God finally sends his people into exile. Friends, please know, God does not have a short fuse. If we learn anything about God's character, is he has an incredibly long fuse. His patience is unbelievable. Over and over again, do you see he said messenger to him again and again and again. Did they listen? No. If they did listen, only for a little bit. And even then, it was selective obedience. I'll do this part, but not that part. And what happened is, is after many, many warnings, he finally sends them to exile. Now, we've been reading through uh, the Bible, the plan that was offered for us to uh, consider reading. And I noticed that even in the book of Deuteronomy, way back to Moses and Joshua, they said, look, here's what's going to happen. When you go into the promised land, if you go with God, you're going to be able to live there a long time. But if you decide to turn to the other gods that were part of the nations he's going to drive out before you, same thing's going to happen to you. And in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, I mean, read it sometime. If you want to see just how bad it could get if they come under God's discipline and judgment, I mean, it's serious. And so way back there, but then he sends prophet after prophet after prophet that goes, come on, change your ways, turn around, please don't keep going. And they don't, and so God sends them in exile. Now, what does the word exile mean? If you look it up in the dictionary or you know a few things about even the political situation in our world today, you know that it means if you're following along to be banished and deported from one's homeland. To be banished and deported from one's homeland. Now, every once in a while, to be in exile means you can be in exile in your own country 
under certain conditions, but most of the time it means that you have to leave your homeland. In this situation, what exile meant for them is they were forcibly deported. Now, now I just want you to try and picture this. If you went home today, and right after this service, you were forced to leave your house, everything you own, and you watched some of your family members be killed, and then you were made to travel by foot across a place that you did not recognize to a country whose language you did not understand, whose customs were totally foreign to you. And now all of a sudden you realize this is where I'm going to live from now on. How would that go for you? This was exile. Ex out of exile. And so they were banished. And this was a bad day. So as you think about this with me, notice that God's people in Jerusalem are conquered by Babylon 587 BC. Now I was taught 586, but I know scholars debate that it was somewhere in that time period of 587, 586 BC. Now let me just again give you a little history. Nebuchadnezzar actually started coming into Israel, Judah, in 605 BC. And he began to lay siege and he began to take over different parts of it. But he finally totally conquered Jerusalem about almost 20 years later, 19 years later. So over a period of time, this is all going on. And in 597, he took the first wave of people. He deported them back to Babylon. This was probably Daniel and his friends. But as this kept going, more and more people were killed. They were more and more resistant to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was finally allowed to come in and just raise everything to the ground. Imagine if you believe the temple was the symbol of God's presence and you watch that get burned to the ground and raised to the ground by an enemy king. You would start going, um, I need some sense of this. This is like, what's going on? I thought we were God's people. And so they're struggling. Now, I, I think about this and I, I want you to notice this next sentence. Life as they've known it is gone. They struggle to adapt. Life as they've known it is gone. They struggle to adapt. Now, here's what one scholar says. As we follow the biblical story of Israel, at this point, we might well be tempted to write the end. For the Israelites being marched off as slaves to Babylon, it certainly must seem like the end. What has come of God's great promises to Abraham? of his covenant with Israel at Sinai, of his vow that David's house would go on forever. The house of the Lord himself has been destroyed. Where was the Lord while Babylon triumphed over Israel? Have God's purposes for his people finally run into the sand? Worse, have God's purposes to redeem the creation through Israel failed? I mean, what gives? Some of you know that uh, there's a certain story I absolutely love to read from time to time to you. So some of you are going to recognize this story, but it's one of my all-time favorites, so thanks for indulging me. And if you've never heard it, I think you'll appreciate it. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second, he was peacefully perched in his cage singing. The next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She stuck in the nozzle to suck up the seeds and feathers at the bottom of the cage and then the phone rang. Instinctively, she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. She gasped, let the phone drop, and snapped off the vacuum. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. 
There was Chippy, alive but stunned, covered with heavy black dust. She grabbed him, rushed to the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice cold water, power washing him clean. So she did what any compassionate pet owner would do next. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet, shivering little bird with hot air. Now here's the line that I absolutely love. Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. (laughs) Now I only say that not to make light of what was going on to God's people, but they weren't singing much anymore. And what they went through had them so disoriented and struggling to adapt that they were trying to figure that out. And I was trying to think of what words we might use, how we might get a sense of this. And again, I so appreciate the artwork. I'll mention some more later, but you can see some of the other artwork that's not displayed out here also in the lobby. But one of the other people that submitted artwork said, as I think about exile, I think about being a kid of a military person. I moved 34 times in my life. Wow. That's adapting a lot. But they went on to say in their write-up, we had a choice sometimes of when to leave or when to move and when to go back. The Israelites lost all that. And so here they are struggling to adapt. And so I wrote some things down this morning about exile. See if you can relate to this. First of all, what I picture is someone asked me to pick one word for exile. I would pick the word devastation. Someone once told me when their, one of their kids was going through something that they had wished would never happen to their kid. I said, how are you doing? And they said to me, I'm devastated. What did they mean? It was, they lost something that was precious. They, they, it was taken from them. And so notice this, that exile is a time of devastation and deep disappointment, desolation. It's when things that are precious to us in life are stripped away and taken from us. It may be a plan or a possibility we had counted on, or maybe it was a person or people that we love, or a place we've known and cherished, or a possession that we prized, or a conscious sense of the presence of God that's been taken away from us. But when you're going through exile, your whole sense of dignity and pride has been tested and your, even your identity is in question. I picture a forest fire that has burned through and everything is now blackened and the soil is complete ashes. Devastation. This is how the people of God felt at this point in God's story. And the question is, what do we do with exile? And they had to figure that out. And the good news is, is that God taught them some things that if we'll review that together this morning, I wonder what will stand out to you. I wonder what may be of help to you. So let me just continue by sharing some more things with you. So notice this, that in time, God's people learn to sing again. In time, God's people learn to sing again. Let me just mention this. That if you've never studied the Bible where you know and connect these different things to the different time periods, books like Esther, we already read part of Second Chronicles, books like Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, these are all from 
the time of exile, and there's actually some psalms written during the exile. Now, I've listed those out to the right, so if you ever want to read some of those. But one of them I've actually listed in the message notes in that first gray box. So would you mind reading it with me out loud there, those first two lines? Our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? What a great question. Like, how do I sing the songs of the Lord when I'm here? That's not easy to do. I'm not even sure I want to. I'm not even sure I can right now. I am so stunned by what's happened. And so that's one of the psalms. And when I say they began to sing again, I don't mean they were all happy songs. Praise the Lord. I'm in exile. I don't mean that. What I mean is they poured their hearts out to God. One of the ones that helped me back when I was in college going through a really, really hard time was Psalm 42 and 43. And there was this repeating refrain that just really struck me. And I think we can put it on the screen. Why my soul, notice how he's talking to himself. Why my soul, are you downcast? Picturing uh, a sheep on its back and can't get up. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. I picture a boxer that's on his back on the mat and the referee is counting an eight count over him and he's talking to himself saying, I'm going to get up again. I know this is exile. I'm going to bounce back. I'm, I'm going to find hope in this somehow. Wow, powerful. So they learned how to sing again and sometimes they were songs of grief and sometimes they were songs that eventually got to praise. But they were looking for ways to sing their way back to hope. Notice also that God calls them to give themselves to blessing the city, if you're following along. God calls them to give themselves to blessing the city. This is an interesting thing. Through the prophet Jeremiah, who's still back in Jerusalem, he is supposed to send a message to them so that the people in exile have some direction from God. And here's, we'll pick it up in verse 4 of chapter 29. It is said... This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage. It doesn't mean to Babylonians. It means to fellow Israelites. But in other words, keep going. Don't waste this time. Don't stay in a pity party. Don't stay in a time where you just say, oh, this is such a waste of time. Nothing good can come out of this. No. Notice, so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. And I put verse 7 in that second gray box that I want you to read the rest of what Jeremiah said to the exiles. Here it is. Let's read it. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is an attitude shift. He's saying, look, give yourselves right there in exile. If you decide to coast, if you decide to say, I didn't deserve this, I don't think this is fair, I don't know why this has happened to me, whether it was my sin or somebody else's sin, whatever it is, I've got to figure out what to do in exile. He says, well, I have a good idea. Get back to doing things where you're purposeful. 
do things knowing that I'm not going to let this be a waste of time if you cooperate with me. Man, what a great word of hope. That must have been helpful to them because at first they thought they had other prophets going, it won't be long, you're going back home soon. And Jeremiah goes, no, no, no. You're not going back for 70 years. Might as well settle down. Make the most of this time. You're locked in. But what are you going to do? So notice then that also there are several other people. So I told you that Jeremiah was one of the prophets. He wrote a, a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's not one of the most popular books in the Bible, but it's powerful. And lament, lament, Lamentations is laments, which means that you're pouring your heart out with the sad stuff, the hard stuff in your life. And it too, we're often put to music, these laments. The Psalms mean songs. So people sang these things and said these things. But notice what Jeremiah does in the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah pours out his grief and calls to mind God's faithfulness. Jeremiah pours out his grief and calls to mind God's faithfulness. Now again, I just want to make sure I say this again. I know some of you laugh when I did earlier. There is a version of Christianity that you might as well call buck up Christianity that in my opinion goes too far. It basically says, just deny that anything painful is happening and say, praise the Lord a lot. Jeremiah doesn't do that. Jeremiah doesn't deny what's going on. He pours it out, honestly, to God. Read Lamentations sometimes. He talks about how hard this is for him to accept, how hard for it, this is for him to even put his arms around it. He tells all of that to God. He tells God his fears. He tells God the things that make him sad. He pours it out. He pours his grief out. And then he also says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new Every morning, great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3. Great is your faithfulness. Do you notice how he's praying? He's not saying, because of what I've done or because of how I've failed you, I'm no longer your people. I'm still your people. And I'm in exile right now, admittedly. And I'm pouring my heart out to you. But I know that because of who you are, and because I'm part of your people and part of your plan, I can pour my heart out knowing I'm coming back to who you are. Because my faith is based on who you are more than my faith is based on who I am. What a powerful prayer. I recommend putting it to memory. Ezekiel learns, if you're following along, that God can make dry bones live again. During the exile, God teaches Ezekiel a whole bunch of things. Now, Ezekiel is actually a prophet in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah would send messages to Babylon from Israel. Ezekiel is actually speaking in there, and God shows him a whole bunch of things, including that the temple is going to one day be more than just a building. It's going to have measurements that are so beyond, it's going to be something even more glorious than just a building. And I believe he's prophesying about the people of God called the church one day. But what he also shows Ezekiel is he takes them to a valley. You can read about it in chapter 37. He takes them to a valley that has dry bones as far as the eye can see. What does that symbolize? A whole bunch of people have died and a whole bunch of people died a long time ago and now their bones are laying there in the valley, dried out from the sun 
and there is no way those bones can live again, right? But what does God say to Ezekiel? Ezekiel, can these dry bones live again? All the devastation that took place over these people, it looks like it's the end. And Ezekiel says, you know, Lord, whether they can live again. And he says, prophesy to these bones. And when he does, Ezekiel sees these bones all of a sudden rise up. The sinews, the tendons, the muscles, the ligaments all begin to come back on the bones. The flesh has come back on. And suddenly there is a whole army of people that stands in the valley. And Ezekiel hears God say, I am going to bring back a remnant of my people to Jerusalem because even dry bones are not too dry for me to work. What a word of hope. Exile is not the end of the story. Notice he also speaks to Daniel. And notice what Daniel learns. Daniel learns a lot of things. We've learned, if you read the book of Daniel, you read about how he's faithful in the lion's den. You read about how he resolves not to eat the king's food so that he can stay faithful to God. You see that there is a remnant, even of the people that were exiled, that still want to follow God. And they've used this time to humble them freshly, and they are still wanting to be faithful to God now in this next chapter. And you see Daniel. And Daniel's able to stand in front of King Nebuchadnezzar and, and the king that's the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's basically able to say this. You probably think you're the most important person in the world. Well, there's someone more important than you. He's the God of the nations. He is the sovereign over every nation. And so keep that in mind and stay reverent, stay humble. He says all these things in a foreign land, and he, he says a lot, but notice what else he does. In chapter 9, he prays a prayer of confession that is so unbelievably beautiful that I'm going to read it all to you in just a moment. But if you're following along, notice that Daniel humbly confesses God's righteousness and mercy. So here it is. Here's the prayer that he prays, and it's just beautiful. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, uh, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures. Notice this. In exile, what is he doing? He's reading his Bible. I mean, he's remembering the scriptures. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition. In fasting and in sackcloth and ashes, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now listen to his prayer. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Do you see how he's owning that? He's taking responsibility. Even though we never read of one sin that Daniel committed in the Bible, here he is on behalf of himself and his people confessing this. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept his laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. 
Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us for the Lord our God is righteous and everything he does. Yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear our God and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, Lord. Listen, Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. And God is looking for every one of us, no matter where we find ourselves, to be humble, to own what we need to own, to understand that sometimes it's also other people too, but we just need to say, how do you want to use this time so it's not wasted time in my life? Bring me back to center line. Bring me back to clarity. Let me see reality. So notice this. If you're following along, after 70 years, a remnant of God's people return home. After 70 years, a remnant of God's people return home. One of the people that contributed the artwork there is one of our students, our high school students, Tristan McLean. And here's some of what he wrote in his write-up. Exile to me is evidence of God's promise or purpose. In Jeremiah 29, God had banished his chosen people from the promised land. But there is so much more to this word than meets, the word exile than meets the surface These people were told to wait for God's perfect timing. It is so we realize how perfect God's timing is compared to our timing. These people were told to wait so that they could learn to depend on God and his timing. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I believe that God's timing is what the word exile really describes. God gives us trials we can't face alone so that we find our dependence on him again. And I love that he put a clock. And sometimes the question is, how can I be patient in exile? Well, one of the ways we can be patient is if we understand that God never wastes time and he never wastes experience if we'll give it to him. Years ago, I heard someone say this. I know Corey Tenboom has said it a little differently. Rick Warren said it this way. But look at this quote, and I want you to read it with me. Let's read it together and think about this. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. You never know God is all you need until God is all you have. Exile strips away. It takes away things that are precious to us. We may not always understand why, but in those times, 
we can discover in the midst of that devastation and desolation that he's doing something still. And he has a word of hope for us. The question is, what is it? So if you're following along in the notes, before you put them away, would you just fill out this last question? Lord, what do you want me to know and to do? What do you want me to know and to do? What word of grace, what word of truth does God want to speak into your life this morning as you've been listening to exile? Are you going through something right now where something has been stripped away from you? It's humbled you. It's brought you into a place that feels low. It feels hard. And in that moment, the question is, what will you do? What does God want you to know so you can keep moving forward? What does he want you to do? Is there something he's showing you? So I'll just close by saying this. One of the things that's been most difficult for me in my life with God is when he strips away, for reasons only known to him, his, conscience, his conscience, excuse me, conscious sense of his presence. I've had several times where my life, I, 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 one of the most precious things to me is walking through my day and sensing the presence of his Holy Spirit in my life. But when he's taken me through weeks and months where I don't have a sense of that at all, I have no feeling numb, those are moments of truth. And during one of those times in my life, God showed me that like Jeremiah, excuse me, like Daniel, I needed to keep paying attention to his word. So I would sing songs and they had no feeling. I would read Bible verses and I wish they meant a lot to me, but they didn't mean anything to me. And so, but I thought I'm going to keep. So I would write verses out. I put them on my mirror. I would try and memorize them. I tried to memorize songs. And even though I had no feeling, I just knew that God was going to eventually meet me. And that's where I memorized Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. And sometimes I would just say those mechanically at first, but I started hiding those things. And that's when I discovered Lamentations 3. My soul is filled with bitterness and gall. All my splendor is gone. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And friends, I just believe he wants to speak that word of hope over every one of us again today. But what does he want you to know? What does he want you to do? So one thing we can learn out of all this, pour your hearts out to him. And what we want to do before we leave today is sing a song where we say, God, help me see reality. What looks so real to me right now is not the whole story. Help me see you as you really are. Help me see you the way that you want to reveal yourself to me. So we're going to sing this as an act of faith. But again, give to God, listen to God, and respond to him as we sing together. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.